that we might be free of that consequence. That's an amazing reality. But more than that, we believe Jesus was raised from the dead. He overcame the power of death and, uh, and that he lives. And it is Christ we can, can come to know in this life of ours. Um, know personally and love as we are loved by him. And live in that relationship which brings life wonderful, beautiful, dramatic life and uh, i hope you're living that life folks and every single one of you i hope you found it i hope it's revolutionary revolutionizing your lives in wonderful and beautiful ways today uh we come to the end of the mission the miracle of mercy campaign miracle of mercy campaign i have weekly heard from people and again today over coffee between services about how this campaign has touched their lives and blessed them uh that that makes me glad very simply it makes it just makes me thankful to god um and, and essentially this campaign i think first and foremost is, has been about us coming to terms with the with the god who is revealed in the bible the god who is um, taught in the bible who has a heart that is filled with mercy toward his people you know we've defined it haven't we we talked about un uh, unearned uh Sorry, undeserved forgiveness. I've just spoken to that reality. God will, will forgive you anything, anytime. You don't deserve it, but he'll do it because it's, it's in his heart to do it. He wants to do it. It's amazing. And un unearned kindness. And that, 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 that the Lord just comes into our lives and he just pours kindness upon kindness upon kindness upon us so that we are blessed people. And that I think at the heart of this campaign has been the desire for us to see, as I've said to you before, and understand God differently. To have our eyes opened. We've talked about how the blind can see in one of our songs today, right? That your eyes have been opened a little bit more to truly understand the heart of God. Because we so often misunderstand the heart of God. And um, I'm, just, I'm just thankful that, that people have been changed and, and they're moving forward. Today, uh, Rick Warren suggests that we talk about being agents of mercy. Agents of mercy in the world. You know, when I think of agent, I think secret agent and I think of, you know, some some characters in my life that have played the part, uh, you know, James Bond, secret agent, right? Uh, 007, advocating for the British cause, MI5, I assume. I'm not a huge Bond fan, but I believe he works for MI5, and he does the, you know, the high action stuff to protect, uh, to protect Britain. I want to date myself a little bit and go back, but who remembers Maxwell Smart? Come on, hands up, yeah. Oh, not all the old folks, mostly us old folks, yeah. But uh, there's a movie, movie made recently about Get Smart, you know. And Maxwell Smart was, was an agent. He, he served with um, number 99, is that what she was called? And um, they, they were battling chaos. Remember who they, they advocated for, who they were protecting and working for? Took me a while to remember this. This is what I spend my, my week doing, thinking silly things like this. They remembered in the first service, they were working for control. And, and, and chaos was the, was the bad, evil force seeking to undermine, I think, the United States. Who do we work for as special agents of mercy? We work for the kingdom of God, that realm which is, is in this world where people acknowledge Christ as, as the Son of God and as Lord, as King, and where we're trying to live according to his principles, right? What he teaches us in Scripture, grace and love and mercy, kindness, justice. You know, we've got a cause to work for. And, uh, and, and, you know, Jesus said to those uh, agents of mercy, 
you will, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in this world. We're called to be witnesses. I want to suggest this morning that one of the most powerful ways we can witness to the reality of Christ is to be agents of mercy. To be people who engage mercy, having received it from God, having been forgiven in, an, in a way that we don't deserve, having been blessed with a kindness that flows into our lives, as we've talked about over these weeks, in beautiful and remarkable ways. We're ca- called to have, having received that mercy into our lives, and so much so that it dwells in our hearts that we just offer it to other people. Um, I want to, I wanna, you know, just get you to think for a minute about what a witness is. Generally, witnesses go to courts of law, and they essentially tell their very simply what they have seen what their experience has been so that others might know it and understand it we're not a witness is not called to convince anybody of anything understand that that's not your role or mine particularly we're just called to tell people what we've experienced of the mercy of god you know those times when god has showed up in our lives and he's helped us out of the kindness of his heart. You know, times when our families have struggled, times when we have had health crises, times when we have had financial difficulty, times when we've been spinning our wheels in an emotional hole and we can't get ourselves out of it. God has shown up in powerful ways and been incredibly kind to us, blessed us. When we can simply tell other people about that, all of a sudden we become witnesses that are powerful in the kingdom because they start to hear about this God and they too start to think differently about this God. I want you to note, um, it's not our job to be a prosecutor, you know, to prosecute anybody for their sins. It's not our job to be a judge and condemn people for what they have done to, 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 to anything. We're not to be the d- defense attorney and even defend the Lord himself. Our job is to be witnesses of what God has done in our lives. And if, if we do so, I want to tell you this morning that we will, we will have a powerful effect in this world. As individuals and as a church, you will. Jesus said, Luke 6 Verse 36, these words. Be merciful, merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You get this, right? That's what God's like. And he's showing it to us, and it's for us to share with others in this world. Beautiful challenge to us, what we're called to, who we are. Now, how do we share uh, this mercy? How do we show it? How do we engage this? Well, some principles we're going to talk about today, and the first is this. We start by looking for people's need. We start simply by looking for people's need. You know, when we're at school, we see it. When, when we're at work, we see it. When we're in our neighborhoods, we look and we find people who have need. When we're in our family engagement, we look for need. Um, I, I, I want to tell you, um, the reality is when we look for need, we're giving attention to people. We're attending to them and not just to ourselves. And all of a sudden, love starts to flow and mercy is communicated. You know, one of the biggest reasons people don't show mercy in this world, it's not that we're mean, it's not that we're nasty, it's not that we're, you know, critical necessarily. The biggest destroyer of mercy in life is the fact that we're too busy. You know, you run from one event to another event to another event and another event. Guess what you don't notice? People's need, which surrounds us. We've got to get to this point where we start to pay attention to the needs which are present to us. We've got to look, we've got to see what's there. Philippians 2, verse 4, says this. It's actually in the middle of a, a sentence in, in the NIV. But it's, another translation says, not looking to your own interest. Well, that's what it says there too. <laughs> but not looking to your own interest, uh, uh, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, the verse says, you know, we have our own needs. We have our own interests. We have our own issues in life. They have to be attended to. But also look to the interests of others. Look to the needs that are very real and pressing in the lives of other people. Guys, 
Those of you who are married, have you ever had this experience that you're talking to your wife very often with your cell phone in hand or a newspaper, and your wife is talking, and your responses are something like this, mm-hmm, yep, uh-huh. And th- there comes a certain point, I see wives turning their heads, there comes a certain point where your wife actually said to you, <laughs> would you look at me? <laughs> because they really want to engage you. It's like they want to take you, and sometimes they do, I suppose, take your head, uh, your head in their hands and say, look at me. Because the reality is when we attend to somebody, when we look at them, We're actually giving our time and our focus. We're giving ourselves to them. And it's a deeply loving thing to do. It's an honoring thing to do. It's a day that Jesus was about to engage with a a young kind of troubled man. He was successful in life, but he, uh, he had his own struggles and difficulties. We call him the rich young ruler. And the verse that uh, begins that interaction in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, is this. And I want you to look at the first sentence. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I want to tell you there's something powerful in the verse about Jesus first looking before he loved. You see, he was able to see into that young guy's life in a way that no one else could. Of course, he was God. He had this capacity to look at him and and consider his question and then love him. My friends, we've got to start with this. We've got to look. What do you look for? You look for people who are in crisis, people who have very real needs in their lives, you know, if we will look, we will see people all around us who are, who are in crisis. And, and in that moment, we can see and understand their heart, and we can engage, and we, become, we can become agents of mercy. You can. Galatians 6.2 says this. Paul writing to his people, uh, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Visualize this for me. Carry each other's burdens. In other words, if I have a burden, you can come into my life, and you can take a load off my shoulders, and you can carry that on your own shoulders, and together we can, we can make, make our way through life, uh, and I will be blessed. I will be loved. Carry each other's burdens. Jesus came and he died on the cross, and he took the burden of our guilt and our shame and our sin upon himself. Understand this. He took it away from you. He carried it himself, and he suffered the consequences of all the wrong we have done, that we might be free of those consequences, that we might be forgiven. And we can be like Christ with people, not in exactly that way, but we can come to them. And, you know, whatever the struggle, the strained relationships, people who are dealing with emotional difficulty, you know, we can, we can make a difference there. We can carry burdens. People with work-related angst, I'm writing. I know that's really common in the lives of a lot of people. You know, <laughs> there are not a lot of people who love their work. Very often work brings struggle and difficulty. We can carry their burdens with them, and as the verse says, so fulfill the law of Christ. And we talked about this a while ago. Who remembers what the law of Christ is? The law of Christ is to love. the, The law of Christ, he just says, love one another. Love God and love one another. This fulfills the law and the commandments. And if we carry each other's burdens, my goodness, the law of Jesus, the love of Jesus will emerge in people's lives. I want to tell you there are people in your lives right now who surround you. We need to open our eyes to see them as they are struggling with burdens. And we need to enter into that. And my friends, if we do and and so carry their burdens, they will experience the mercy of God, the kindness of God through us. How about this one? You know, we can look and we can see people with unmet needs. This is the practical side of it. You have a neighbor right now who has some practical needs that you might serve. I hate to say this, but it's November, and it can't be that long until the snow starts to fly, and somebody in your neighborhood 
might need their driveway shoveled out as if your own is enough, I know. But simple things like this, people who need a ride from point A to point B but can't get there without some help, maybe errands needing done. The list is endless in this, but do we get consumed with our own needs so much so that we don't see the needs in the lives of other people? Sometimes it's the answer to that is yes. Romans 15, verse 2, says this, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And that's not just the people who live beside you, it's the people you work with. You know the biblical teaching in this. Our neighbor is simply def defined as somebody who has need whom we encounter. And we can, we can engage this. I want to read a story from um, uh, the material that has been sent to us uh, with the Miracle of Mercy campaign. This is a young woman who is involved in a life group who uh, had the privilege of being part of sharing the mercy of God in the lives of someone, in the life of somebody who had real need. While participating in an AIDS walk at Irvin Park, Jacob saw Saddleback's HIV ministry booth. At first he was angry because he thought we were there to protest living, those living with HIV. You know, you can understand in the American context how that could have been understood. But soon he realized we were there to support, love, and care for those living with HIV and AIDS. Jacob said he'd never imagined that any church would do that. Eyes open, mercy beginning to be received, experienced. And he wondered if Saddleback Church would help him. J Jacob quickly learned that the answer was yes. The HIV and AIDS ministry began to show Jacob mercy in many, many ways. Saddleback members brought him several weeks' worth of meals when he was too sick to shop. Um, and what meant even more to him was that people didn't just drop off the meals. They stayed and ate with him like a friend. I love that little addition, like a friend. The Saddleback small group came over and cleaned his apartment, his garage, and even his refrigerator. Other Saddleback members walked his dog when he had had foot surgery. One small group, hearing that he couldn't afford a med medical scooter to keep his leg elevator, went out and found one so he could get around more comfortably. Another small group took Jacob to the movies because he hated going to the mov movies alone. How hard is that, right? That's, but that's beautiful. That's mercy extended, mercy flowing. Most recently, when Jacob was hospitalized, it was not his uh, um, close friends or family who came to visit him. Instead, it was people from the Saddleback HIV support group and even members he didn't know who stopped by and encouraged him. Because of his critical condition and it requiring extra protection from germs, that Jacob's hospital stay was in a room surrounded by glass. Jacob explained, when I woke after surgery, people from Saddleback HIV gay group ministry were there to support me. They hung out, they prayed for me, and I no longer felt alone. I began to understand the power of mercy in this young guy's life. It meant so much to me, especially when others seemed scared of me. As a result of all these agents of mercy, Jacob eventually opened his life to Jesus. He said, I accepted Christ and I got baptized at Saddleback because of their kindness and extreme helpfulness. Because of what? Kindness and extreme helpfulness. The fact that my HIV status was not considered a hindrance for me becoming a Christian and being a part of this church, I just don't have words for that kind of love. There is no stigma or judgment here. No one questions me. Instead, I found open arms embracing me and big hugs from everyone. You see, need simple need that is addressed, focused upon, and met. Man, we can be like that, IPC. We can be people who have encountered mercy and share that mercy and that love with others. How about seeing people in our world who are grieving and comforting them? 
How about that? I want to tell you, that's mercy when it happens. That's unearned kindness. You know, grief grows out of loss, and there are a ton of losses in our world. People sometimes lose a job, and they grieve it. It's scary, it's difficult, it's hard. Sometimes people have a dream for their life, and they come to the end of the dream, and they realize it's never going to be achieved, and they have to grieve the loss of the dream. I just read early this morning uh, from my little cell phone on the newspaper <laughs> as I had breakfast that Hillary Clinton said that she that this, this loss to her politically is very, very painful. <laughs> That's a grief ex- uh, response to what has happened in her life. She's dreamed of something for a long time and it's never going to be now. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's the loss of family, a family unit. You know, when a family breaks down, divorce happens, there's grief because something has been lost and it's gone. And of course, there are times when we lose loved ones, people who are precious to us and they pass away. And we feel probably then the depth of grief like no other time pain, challenge. My friends, we are all going to experience grief going forward because we're all going to experience loss. You know that, right? And I want to tell you, when agents of mercy come into the life of one who is grieving, it can be a powerful expression of love and a powerful expression of the unearned kindness of God through us to them. Let me read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here God begins to be defined in Scripture. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Do you know God is like that? Are you absolutely convinced that this is the reality at the heart of God? He's a Father of compassion and He's a God of incredible comfort who comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that we can then comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received from God. Are you beginning to grasp this? Mercy flows in the form of comfort. It, it, it enables us in those most painful and difficult times of life to carry on. We are deeply blessed because we encounter the reality of God so much so that then we can turn around and go into the lives of others who are grieving and bless them with mercy, with love, with compassion, with comfort. Wow. What about people who are needing friendship that we might show them hospitality? You know, there are a lot of people in this world of ours who don't have friends. Ever think about that? People who long for friendship, we're wired that way, we need community, we need care. There are people who don't have friends in this world. Let's speak for a moment about high school. Here I'm talking about the uncool kids. Here I'm talking about the kids that nobody else wants to hang around. Here I'm talking about the people who don't get invited to the parties. And everybody else ignores. You know who shouldn't ignore such people? People with the eyes of Jesus, who have hearts filled with mercy ready to express kindness to a person that no one else expresses kindness to. And I'm telling you, it's not just high school, it's in our world. Man, we need to find these people. We need to have the eyes of Christ. And as Jesus loved such people, so we must love them too. Romans 12, 13 says this. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Invite such a person into your home and share a meal with them, and you will have a profound effect upon their life. I'm telling you, it'll be a profound influence because not only are they being loved and accepted in a way that other people haven't loved and accepted such folks, they're going to start to experience the mercy of God through you and through me. Hospitality, it's, it, it's something, you know, almost which, again, too busy to bother with anymore to invite people into our home, but my, I want to tell you, a powerful means of communicating God's heart to others. How about this, looking for people who need a second chance? How many people here need a second chance? 
Man, I need it every day <laughs> because I'm human and I make mistakes and I, I fail and I sin. And, you know, God comes into our lives in Christ and he gives us a second chance and he shows us grace. I want to tell you, a ton of people in our world need this second chance. They fail, they sin, they do make mistakes, and they, all, they need that second opportunity to just rise up from their failure and start over again. Who's going to give it to them? I want to tell you it's the people of Christ. Particularly, it becomes powerful when such people have made mistakes and have sinned against, against us. Do you know such a person right now? 2 Corinthians 2.7. Man, this is all over the Bible. Now instead of treating people badly, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. This young guy had sinned against the church and the church had taken action and he had repented. And Paul comes back to this church and says, forgive him, comfort him. Why? So that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Another translation talks about so that he will no longer be in despair. You see, the reality is... <laughs> that the alternative to, to people being given a second chance is excessive sorrow, it is despair, it is despondency, it is sometimes even depression. And what's the solution to their place in life in that moment? The, the solution is the mercy of God as expressed by the people of God who have encountered it from them. Powerful. How about this one? People who are mean and rude to you. What do you do when people are mean and rude to you? <laughs> There's a way that most people act and that is potentially to do nothing. And I suppose the potential is to be mean and rude in response. But I want to tell you there's something else we're called to. 1 Peter 3.9. Listen to this. Do not, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You know, when someone treats us badly, what are we supposed to do? as the people of Jesus? What are we supposed to do as people who have been given un, uh, uh, undeserved forgiveness? We're supposed to provide that forgiveness. What are we supposed to do as people who have had received unearned kindness? We're supposed to be kind to such people. Nobody does that. And we're not very many people, but the people of Jesus are to do it. And when we do it, all of a sudden, mercy flows into that person's life, and they start to encounter the reality of our God, whose heart is merciful toward them. And I want to tell you, impact can be made in incredible ways. Incredible ways. First thing that we can do is start to look and see the needs of the people who live around us and act in mercy toward them. Will you do that this week? Will you intentionally open your eyes to see what's going on in the lives of people around you and do something merciful toward them? It'll make a difference for God and for those people. Second principle, don't be offended by people's sin as we live out there in the world. Um, don't be offended by people's sin. You know, in the kingdom of God, this realm what we talk about a lot here at IPC where Christ is king and we place ourselves under uh, his, his leadership, his guidance, his understanding of life, his truth, and we seek to live like Jesus to transform the world for good. Um, we are called to be gracious and loving and merciful, and all of those things are unconditional. We're supposed to give it to people regardless. It doesn't matter how they're living. You know, it, 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 Jesus doesn't say to us, listen, um, or, or we don't say to people, sorry, listen to me, if, if you kind of clean up your life, then I'll be good to you and love you and be merciful and gracious. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. You, you know, we sometimes have that thought. 
But that's not the way it's intended to be. You know, too often we get offended by people's sin, and what do we do? We back away, right? We see it and say, oh, that's not how I choose to live. I'm going to back away a little bit. And I want to tell you, that's not what Jesus did. He hung out with the, what the Bible calls the sinners of his day. Do you understand this? The prostitutes and, and the drunks, the tax collectors who were considered to be, you know, such immoral people as they betrayed their own, their own nation. Um, see, you can't look out for people's needs. You can't open your eyes and act to meet people's needs if you're also looking down on people. The two don't go together. It doesn't work that way. See, Jesus didn't ever say, hey, you have to love people, but here's a group that I'm going to exclude from love. Right? You, you have to love all people, but you don't, have to, you don't have to love the sexually immoral. You have to love all people, but these tax collectors, you're not, you don't have to love them. It's, not, it's completely antithetical to everything Jesus said to us. He said, love everybody. It doesn't matter how they are living. Love them anyway. And that's not to say we approve of everything. Jesus didn't approve of everything people did. Of course, it broke his heart when people entered into behavior that only would hurt them and, and, and keep them uh, from knowing life that, that God intended them to know. But he accepted them as people. And he blessed their lives. 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Think about that for a minute. Love, it covers over a multitude of sins. It says in the Psalms, when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus, you know, we get into God's presence, we say, forgive me for my sin in Christ's name. I know, I believe he died on the cross for me, and Lord, I open my life to you that I might have a relationship with you. It's an incredible moment of coming to faith and, 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 and entering into a relationship with God. It says that the, the, the Bible says that our sin is blotted out. It's covered up. God, it's like God can't see it anymore. It's not relevant to him. We're forgiven. It's gone. And we're told in this verse that love, if you really love people, it, that, that'll cover over a multitude of sins. It's almost like we're not supposed to see it or care that much. Of course we care that we want people to move beyond it, but it's their call in the end. But it doesn't keep us from loving them. You see how these two points go together? We're supposed to look for and see the need of people, but we're not supposed to look for their sin. There are some things we should see and pay attention to, some things we don't. So we don't allow people's sin to offend us. We love them anyway. We do that. Principle number three, we're agents of mercy. Listen, this is so important. We do not expect those who do not follow Jesus to live like people who follow Jesus until they do. <laughs> we, we can't expect people who don't choose to follow Christ to live like us, at least when we're getting it right. <laughs> Bottom line is this, people in our world who aren't Christians, who aren't in relationship with God, who, who don't honor Scripture, who don't read it, who don't know anything even that it says, they're going to live their lives by different standards and choose right and wrong according to their own designs. They're not going to live like people who follow Christ because they're not followers of Jesus. They have no intention or desire to do so. What we have to do, my friends, I'm telling you, is get to this place of being merciful in spite of that reality. You know, you know, why, you know why folks who don't follow Jesus shouldn't be expected to live like people who do? It's because of this reality. When I 
struggle with sin. And I think you know the reality of this if you are giving yourself to this engagement of following Christ. The only time I can really overcome sin in my life is when I am empowered by the Spirit of God to do so. God, when we open our life to Him, He comes to us. He dwells within us. And He empowers us to resist sin, to say no when we need to say no, and to say yes when we need to say yes. It's the power of God that enables us to live before God in a holy way if indeed we manage that reality. But non-believers, people who haven't come to that place of encountering Christ in that way, they don't have that power within them. Why on earth would we expect them to be able to overcome the power of sin without the resource, the enablement, and the empowerment of God? You see, we've got to get beyond this expectation, and we have got to come to a place where we um, ex no longer expect people to just kind of do things the way we do. So what do we do? What do we do with people who's who are caught up in sin in some particular way. My friends, the answer is this. We have to show them mercy. Mercy. Unearned kindness. Kindness. You know, it was the day Jesus was at a, at a tax collector's house. And again, let me just briefly highlight this for you if you're not aware of it. These people were considered despicable in their day, in Jesus' day. Awful, immoral treacherous people because they were collaborating with the Romans. The Romans were dictators. The Romans said, go collect taxes for us. Uh, and if you collect a little more than what we ask for, you can hold on to that and keep it for yourself. And they collected a lot more. So they were hated by the Jewish people, even though they were Jewish people themselves. And Jesus was one day in Matthew's home. This Matthew became a, a disciple, a follower of Christ. It says this, Matthew 9, 10 to 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors, as if one wasn't bad enough, right? You know, we probably wouldn't even have had the dinner, never mind a whole, whole gaggle of them showing up. But while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, now the Pharisees are the legalists of the day, they're religious folks who are critical and condemning of other people who don't live like them. They expected these folks to live like them. The Pharisees saw this, and note the word saw. This is what they're looking for, and they're getting ready to be critical of Jesus. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, right? Go and learn what this means. And he, he quotes scripture, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Let that ring in your soul for a while. God's speaking. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, you can go and sacrifice all the, all the animals in the temple, and you can go through your re religious ritual, but if your heart's not right, i.e. filled with mercy, having encountered mercy, ready to give it to other people, you're missing the mark. What God cares about, he says, is I desire mercy to be expressed in this world as it flows from your heart into the lives of other people. For I have not come to call the righteous self-righteous, but sinners. Jesus had this heart for people who were far from God, and even though they lived very differently than what Christ's followers were called to live, it didn't bother him. He didn't get offended by this. Talk about being an agent of mercy in the midst of his reality. He basically said, I'm here to make well people who need to be made well. And as a result, 
You see, Jesus, Jesus went to these folks. He didn't approve of all behavior, but he accepted people, and he loved people. He looked for their need, and he didn't allow himself to be offended by sin. Instead of being driven away from those who lived differently, he actually moved toward the sinners. You get this? You understand this? What does this mean for our lives? How might this change the way we live if we became Jesus-like, one whose heart was dominated by this powerful force called mercy? Undeserved forgiveness. I'll forgive you for that. Sins, yes, yeah, no problem. That's what God's like. Unearned kindness. Oh, I'd love to be kind and good to you. I don't care where you're at. I'm going to just be good to you. I'm going to love you. Wow. My friends, we can't look down on people. <laughs> we can't do that who don't live like us. It's not for us today. I love this verse, Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is talking to this pharisaical crowd again. We've even turned it into an adverb in our, uh, our adjective in our world. And we, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Notice the only group of people in Christ's society that he went after. Who, who were the people in his world Jesus was angry with and went after with vehemence? It's not the sinful crowd. It's the people who are supposed to represent the heart of God to the world who are actually doing the opposite of what they were intended to do. They weren't showing the heart of God, which is filled with mercy. They were showing this judgmentalism and this criticism of people because of how they were living. Those people needed mercy. And Jesus knows these people are keeping others from God and an understanding of God. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. Now they go into the garden and they tithe their mint, their dill, and their cumin. But you, because that's what Scripture says, tithe your resources, right? So they do it. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What does that mean? Tithing's a good thing. Jesus celebrates tithing. And if you want to do it to, to that which you produce in your gardens, go ahead. Fabulous. But there's something incredibly significant in the heart of God. And these things are justice and mercy and faithfulness. Don't do one and neglect the other. Don't do that. See what's really important to Jesus? I require mercy, not sacrifice. We, he quoted it earlier. Same point. It's, it's mercy that dwells in the heart of God, and he longs for it to be shown through his people to those who are far from him. See, in the end of the day, this whole discussion is about what's going on in our minds in terms of our understanding of God. Could it be even a little bit that to this point in life, your thought of God has been more like the Pharisees than Jesus? Jesus is up in heaven, and he's you know, kind of angry, and he points fingers at the sinners, and you should leave him alone, and you should judge him, and you should be critical of him. Could it be that some of that Pharisaical way has somehow seeped into our minds? It's possible. This is our history, tragically, in the church. When we've gotten away from being like Jesus. And what the Lord wants is for us to reject that vehemently and to come into people's lives who need God, who are loved by God, for whom Jesus died, and show them the mercy of God. Undeserved forgiveness. Unearned kindness. Just go do it. 
And I want to tell you, my friends, every single day we have the possibility, the potential of reflecting the heart of God to the people around us who don't know God or to people who think they know God, but they get it wrong. I don't know about you, but that, that to me is, uh, it's both exciting, but it's more than that. It's incredibly important because people need to come to know the reality of who God is. And our God is not a Pharisee. They got it wrong. Our God's heart is filled with mercy toward us and toward everyone else in this world. And I said it before, Jesus touches the hearts of his people so that they might touch the hearts of others. He wishes to touch the hearts of others through us. And it all boils down to what's in our hearts. And the question ultimately is, have we come to a place in our lives, in our belief of who God is, where we recognize the power of the mercy of God? I said it in day one in this series. The mercy of God is the primary characteristic of Scripture regarding God's character as it's revealed in Scripture. It's mentioned more times in love and in grace and in justice and in faithfulness and you can go on and on and on. God is a God of mercy toward you. And when we get that into our minds and, and we let it seep down into our hearts, mercy dwells in us so we become like him. And then we get to be agents of mercy by going out into the world and being merciful toward others in these ways and more so that those others start to understand who God really is. And do you know what people do when they start to understand who God really is? I think I'd like to know that God too. How does that happen? It happens through people like you and me. Simply, simply doing what we've talked about today. I want to ask you in conclusion, you want to be an agent of mercy? Anything in you that says, yeah, God, let me do that for you. Let me be like you, Jesus. Let me maybe shake up the, the perceptions I've had and the understanding of what it means to be an agent of mercy in the world. And let me go and, yes, be concerned for my interests, but let me see. Let me just see the needs of the people who surround me. Let me do something about it. There's something incredibly refreshing when we get loosened up and freed from self-centered living. It produces joy in us. We get to this point in our lives where we're not so concerned about, you know, being offended by people's sin and we come to this point where we actually stop thinking that other people who don't follow Jesus should actually live like us where does that come from and we know that all we're called to do is be a witness for Christ having encountered the reality so speak it and share it with others that others might know what we've come to know you can do that and I can too I pray that this series called the miracle of mercy has produced a miracle in you where god by his spirit has opened your eyes to see what you did not see before and has so allowed you to embrace mercy that you are now ready and passionately eager to share that mercy with others that would change our world because that i would suggest is god's will Oh, Lord, we need you to do that work in us, to impact us, to change us so that we can become like Jesus. And God, we pray that you will. 
I pray for these people gathered before you today, Lord. I pray that this week they'll see needs surrounding them in a way they never have before. Even to the point of bothering them. But I pray, Lord, that as they see need, they will be compelled by love to go and be merciful to people. I pray they won't be offended by sin anymore. I pray they won't back away from those who live differently, but they'll move toward them and show mercy. I pray, Lord, our, we'll just change our expectations of um, how people ought to live who aren't yours. And I pray like Jesus, Lord, we'll find ourselves gathering as he did with, with tax collectors a long time ago and just being your presence in the midst of others so that others might discover the mercy of God. So Lord, make us passionate for your kingdom. Make us passionate as agents of mercy so that others can discover your reality and be blessed by it. Blessed by your mercy as we have been blessed by your mercy. God, use us. Through us, bless the lives of many people. Father, this is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song together.